Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. You'd stand for our scripture reading. It comes today from Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6. It's page 57 in the Bible in your chair if you'd like to follow along. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Moses was going about his daily routine as a shepherd, tending to his father-in-law's flocks. And mid-morning, let's say on a Wednesday, he glanced over toward the mountain. And he saw flames coming up from a bush, but the bush did not burn, and it piqued his curiosity. It captured his attention. He was on this track, doing his daily life, doing his everyday duties, and he caught something out of the corner of his eye, and he turned and he looked toward it. He turned away from what he was doing, turned away from what he had to do because it was part of his everyday life, and he walked toward the fire to check it out. And the point of today's message here in week two of our Encountering God on Light Rail series is to notice where there is a fire burning in our everyday life experiences. Turn toward the burn and then move toward it. We started this series last weekend, and it is an important series, I believe, because we are thinking and talking in these weeks about continuing to become people individually and as a congregation who are living our everyday lives awake and alert to what God is doing in and around us. Learning to live, how to live out the everyday experiences in His presence, attentive to His voice, in step with His Spirit, following His lead, and obedient to the promptings He gives us within. Last week we talked about the enchanted world we inhabit because God is alive and present and active in and around us. Peter says it this way in his Pentecost sermon to the large crowd that had gathered In Acts chapter 2, he said, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. They experienced God's presence. 
And throughout the book of Acts, we see the influence of the Holy Spirit on common everyday people. We see those who are afraid, bolstered by the courage given by God's Spirit. We see the sick healed. We see vulnerable people, full of God's Spirit, facing immense pressure and even death with this unbelievable confidence in God's presence with them. We see people conducting their everyday lives while they are interacting with God's Spirit along the way, hearing from God and living in His presence and by His power. We see those who are antagonistic toward God, unrelenting in their persecution of the church, who suddenly encounter this living God and they are changed from the inside. And they gradually begin to become a new kind of person. We see those who are absolutely certain that this is right, or that is right, or that is wrong. And then they encounter God's Spirit in a fresh way. And their perspective shifts, and their certainty melts, and a whole new world opens up to them. We see people confined in inescapable prisons who are set free by the power of God who is present with them in their troubles. And on and on we could go. And I will admit without any hesitation, I want more of this kind of Christian experience in my life. And I want us as a congregation to experience more of this kind of everyday life with God where we see and we hear and we sense and we experience the Spirit's presence and power in our everyday lives. Today we're thinking about the way the Spirit of God stirs in us specifically to move toward another person, whether we know them or not, towards someone who needs a touch from God or a word from God or some expression of the goodness of God and God's Spirit stirs in us to bless them in His name. So for our purposes today, the burning bush is the nudge within, or the stir, or the inner prompt to move toward that guy who works down the hall, or toward that woman who is ringing up our groceries. And in some way, big but probably small, demonstrate the love of Christ to them. I continue to think about this world we live in and just how broken it is, how violent this world is. The violence of world affairs and everyday human interactions is our business as followers of Jesus. The violence of world affairs and of everyday human interactions is absolutely our business as followers of Jesus. It is our business to get beyond the walls of this campus and get beyond the mindset of just coming to church and get into the mindset of being the church in the midst of the brokenness and in the midst of the violence to show the world a new way of living. See, every day, all around us, there are hurting people who are experts at hiding their hurt. There are those who are searching 
for this elusive something they only know to call more, but they don't know what it is. All around us every day there are people who are lonely, sad, losing hope, wondering if life matters, trying to find their way. And here's the thing. Each category of person I just mentioned sits in this room every single Sunday, wanders the halls of our workplace every single week, wanders the halls of our school every single week, strolls the streets of our neighborhood every single week, and strolls the streets of our town. And the Spirit of God stirs and moves and lights fires all around us in the form of those we see and interact with every day who need God's love and help and touch. And the Spirit wants to give them love and help and touch through you and through me. I like the phrase in Exodus 3, Moses saw the bush burning but not being consumed. And the Bible says he thought, I will go over and see This strange sight. And I wonder what was happening in Moses' body when this happened. What did he feel stirring within him? God was in the strange sight of this bush that would not burn. Maybe say it this way. God was in the odd. He often is. And it stirred something in Moses. And he turned toward it. And he moved toward it to check it out. But here's the thing. Hurried and unreflective people tend to walk past others instead of toward them. See, the everyday risk you and I face is the risk of being incredibly busy, incredibly preoccupied, but fast asleep and inattentive to the enchanting things the Spirit of God is doing in and around us. The risk is to be so preoccupied with our lives, we can't see and we don't see the burning bushes all around us. Like racing horses whose owners want them singularly focused on running fast and winning, we live with blinders on to stay focused on the things we, quote, have to do. Like Moses, we have sheep that need to be tended to every day. So we put blinders on. And we don't see the strange sights around us. We don't sense or feel the nudge within. Or when we do sense or feel the nudge within, we ignore it or we dismiss it as last night's pizza. Or we don't know exactly what to do about it anyway. Or we don't have time to follow its promptings. Hurried and unreflective people can't see or hear the Spirit's stirrings in the midst of their everyday demands. This guy, Ronald Rollheiser, marvelous book called The Shattered Lantern, he says it this way, God is no longer present in ordinary awareness because ordinary awareness is no longer contemplative. We are living the unexamined life, and its price is practical atheism. So we have to consider the way we live, the the way we go about an everyday situation and kind of collectively repent of it 
and just commit to God and to each other to live a different and better way. I was at the grocery store not long ago. Incidentally, while grocery store is an ordinary place to go, one of my favorite places to go, it's proven to be fertile ground for burning bushes. In fact, the ordinary is usually where the bushes are burning. So I was there just before Christmas. I was in the checkout line. Someone I know approached me. I know a bit of their story. And we shook hands. And I asked the obligatory, well, how you doing? And they paused and said, I could be better or something like that. But I needed to pay for the groceries. I wanted to get home. It was a busy season. There's a lot to do. I was tired. And as I sat in my car a few minutes later, I knew I'd blown it. I could hear the whisper of God's spirit. Didn't say exactly these words, but it was close. Hey, Mike, um, when you ask the obligatory, how are you? And the other person doesn't answer with the obligatory, fine. It's a clue. And you might want to slow down. Because there's a burning bush standing right in front of you. You dummy. Now, he did say you dummy. I know that. I drove around the parking lot for about 10 minutes looking for this friend, hoping they would come out, hoping for another chance to be present with them. But I never found them. Rollheiser suggests we are oblivious to God's presence in everyday life because we are no longer contemplative people. And that word contemplative scares some of us It's got a monastic feel, so it seems inaccessible to some of us. So let me make it real simple. For our purposes today, to live contemplative is to be present to those around us at any given time. Rollheiser is fond of this rather dark phrase, practical atheism. And by this he means Christian people who live as though God is dead or on vacation. Or busy fixing a mess in some other part of the world. Christian people who live as though faith is a head game, but it's not an everyday life game. And when we are hurried and unreflective, we live as practical atheists because we are not and we cannot be present to God's Spirit in any meaningful way and present to what He's doing in our midst. So let's talk about the sacredness of others. John chapter 4 records a burning bush in the everyday life and ordinary experience of Jesus. Doesn't take place in a synagogue. Doesn't take place in the temple. Doesn't take place during a church service. It doesn't occur on the Sabbath day or on a Sunday morning. It happens in the ordinary course of Jesus' everyday life. He encounters a burning bush one day in the form of a broken woman from Samaria. Here's the setup. Jesus is in one of those modes where he's trying to get out of the spotlight. So he decides to leave the region of Judea, which was the area right around Jerusalem, right around Bethlehem. And he decides to go back to where he grew up, an area known as Galilee. And the area in between was called Samaria, home of the Samaritans. And there was long-term racial tension and religious tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. So that's the setup. I'm going to read John 4, verses 4 through 10. Now he had to go through Samaria. 
So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is hiking back to Galilee with his disciples when he gets tired, so he stops to rest. It's a beautifully human picture of Jesus. He's tired, so he sits down. His disciples go off to find food, and he sits down to rest. And here's the key to this whole thing we're talking about today. He is present to God's presence as he sits there. He's alert, and he's awake to the reality of God's enchanted world. And so he pays attention to what's happening around him as he sits and rests. And for a while, nothing is happening. So he enjoys his cardio recovery time. But soon, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from a nearby well. Now, it's almost noon, the Bible says, so it would have been very hot. And the women of the village would have retrieved their water supply for the day much, much earlier in the day when it was cool. So it is possible, and people who are smart about this stuff say it's probable, this woman is at the well at this unusual time of day because she has a seedy reputation in the town. She's had many lovers, as we will find out later, and the town is not very big, so most people know she is that woman. And perhaps she has few, if any, friends to go get water with. So she gets her water after everyone else has gotten theirs to minimize the scorn and the hassle. And Jesus asks her a question. What's happening? He's turning toward her and he's moving toward her. Will you give me a drink? And so begins an exchange. We aren't going to read it all. So begins an exchange which changes her life forever. And it all began with a question. And I would suggest this. Jesus saw this woman. He had a hunch. Maybe put two and two together. Felt some kind of stirring in his spirit and in his body. Maybe sensed her deeper sadness. And he moved toward her by asking her a question. And ultimately, her life was forever changed. Put more simply, Jesus saw her sacredness while others saw her sinfulness. In his eyes, she was not what she had done. She had an eternal soul. She was made in the image of God. Her race, her lifestyle, her choices did not eradicate her God-given sacredness. And this rest stop on the way to Galilee was the scene of a strange sight. A burning bush. An encounter with God in everyday life. C.S. Lewis, in his marvelous book called The Weight of Glory, 
describes it this way, describes encountering another person this way. You can follow along, it's long, so you might want to. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Every single person we encounter every single day possesses a God-given sacredness. So how do we live with this awareness in the everyday experiences of life? How do we live with this awareness of the other's sacredness and respond to the Spirit when He stirs us towards someone who is near us? The title of this series is Encountering God on Light Rail. And you may have wondered, where in the world did this title come from? Well, you're about to find out through a story about noticing the sacredness of the other. So I want to invite Julie Lucan to come and share the story. Good morning. Thanks, Mike. <clears throat> I am definitely guilty of hurrying through my days, weeks, and even years as I move from place to place, prioritizing my agenda overlooking those in my life that I love, not to mention the strangers I see along the way. But every once in a while, I wake up to my life, the life that is actually before me, the life where I am aware that God is at work in and around me and those I encounter every day. This happens most to me when I am traveling. This was the case this past October. I was in Portland and about to head back to the airport. I had gobs of time as my flight didn't leave until later that evening, but I had to check out of my hotel by noon. Because I had so much time, I decided to save 40 bucks and take light rail instead of lift to the airport. It would take an hour, but again, I had the time. It was a crisp, sunny afternoon in Portland, and as I made my way to the light rail station, I noticed the changing color of the leaves, bright yellow, orange, and red leaves blowing softly in the wind, making their way to the sidewalk and the ground. When I got to the station, I, I paid the $2.50 that it cost to take me to the airport, got on, grabbed a seat facing forward. If you are familiar with light rail, you know that there are seats facing each other, and the seat on the side next to me faced me as well. Immediately upon sitting down, I was aware of conversations all around me. I was awake. I, it was a familiar feeling. It soon dawned on me that this reminded me of church when we placed the seats in the round facing each other, it was a familiar yet vulnerable feeling. 
I was drawn to a group in front of me a few rows up. It looked like a dad with a small child and perhaps his mom. They were talking rather loudly and laughing every now and then. The child was happy, smiling and giggling as the light rail moved through the city. We made many stops. A man in a wheelchair got on and was right in front of me. He was dressed in a bright blue suit with a white fedora, and his shoes were freshly shined. He turned toward me, and we smiled at each other. He turned his face back to the window and began to hum. I imagined he had just come from church. The light rail came to a stop again, and an older woman pushing her adult daughter in a wheelchair got on, and they were fighting. The daughter was yelling at her mother. The mother, knowing her daughter couldn't come after her, parked the wheelchair and scurried to the back of the light rail compartment. The daughter, at first, started yelling for her mom. When her mom wouldn't answer, she called her on her cell phone and then proceeded to argue with her. I could hear the daughter clearly and could hear the faint voice of her mother who was not that far away. I was amazed at the raw honesty of their relationship and found myself thinking about how often I clean up my act in front of others, keeping my true feelings hidden. But it was the next stop that impacted me the most. An elderly woman got on. She had to be in her mid-70s. She was alone. She had on a very bright floral dress. It had deep pockets in the front and black buttons from the collar to the hem that went almost to her shoes. It looked vintage. She wore black shoes, the kind that are stable and good for walking long distances. Her hair was very greasy and dyed a deep auburn color. She had ringlets on the top and sides of her head, and I noticed she had pretty hairpins in to hold the curls in place and out of her eyes. She had round circles of pink blush on her cheeks. I couldn't see her eyes because she stared at the ground as she made her way to her seat. She sat across the aisle from me. Her seat was facing the side of my seat. I turned to make eye contact with her as I was immediately drawn to her. She had such a beautiful presence about her. She continued to stare at the floor. I found myself turning towards her and staring at the top of her head, hoping she would look up. She continued to stare at her shoes. I was hoping she would look up for just a second so our eyes would meet and I could smile at her, but she never did. I was so drawn to her. I felt her sacredness. I wanted to know more about her, where she had been and where she was going. I turned toward her once more, hoping to catch her looking up from the floor, but she kept her head down. I decided to pray for her. My prayer was simple. I prayed that she wasn't alone. or afraid. I prayed that she had someone in her life who knew and loved her. I prayed that she wasn't hungry and that she had shelter. As I prayed, I looked out my window. Tears were streaming down my cheeks. I was overtaken with emotion. I felt so deeply for this woman. I felt connected to her in a way I cannot explain. We soon came to a stop, her stop. I saw the back of her as she shuffled to the exit and gripped the side rail, her back towards me. I continued to pray for her. We came to a complete stop and the door opened. At that moment, she turned around and looked right at me. With her half-opened hand, she waved her fingers and smiled at me. I couldn't believe it. I smiled through my tears and waved back.
We kept our eyes on each other until she had to exit. I watched as she walked away. What was that? I felt that our souls were so connected. I felt so much emotion and love love for this woman. It was a sacred encounter with a sacred woman. I sat in silence the rest of the trip and thanked God for revealing himself to me through this woman. It's been over two months since that encounter with that woman on light rail. I wish I could say that since then I have been awake to my life and all the sacred moments going on around me. As usual, I got caught up in the craziness of the holiday season, rushing through my days and missing many of these sacred moments. I have thought of this woman many times since my encounter. It has definitely made me more aware of the people I come in contact with every day. It has given me a hunger for this kind of living, to be awake to what God is up to in my everyday life, and to encounter the sacredness of others. Thank you. I mentioned last week that this series is a waste if it does not translate into moving out from this room on Sundays and living our week differently. And so we're going to have a practice each week that we're going to encourage. It's in the app. It'll be on the screen. Encourage you to write it down or otherwise keep it in front of you. So here's the practice for this week. Be present to those around us with confidence that God's Spirit is up to something and find a way to demonstrate His love. This practice involves taking the blinders off in everyday life experiences. This practice involves slowing down to be where we actually are. This practice involves being willing to venture outside the comfort zone. This practice involves taking a risk. We don't have to go anywhere off of our typical daily path. We don't have to make a special appointment. We don't have to rearrange our life in any way at all. We do need, however, to prayerfully enter into the places and in and the spaces we already inhabit, looking for burning bushes in the faces and voices of those around us. And here's the thing. There's no pressure on this. This isn't something we go out in the mindset of, i got to make this happen. Just the opposite. You don't have to make this happen. Because we live in a world enchanted by the presence of God. So we just simply need to be aware of the sacredness of other people around us. The checkout person at the grocery store. The new employee at the office. The strange kid who sits in the back of the classroom. The drive through attendant on the way to Starbucks. You get the idea. One of my favorite authors of recent days is her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. And she wrote a great book called An Altar in the World. It's about everything we're talking about these weeks. Here's what she writes. Like the Desert Fathers, they know that if you always do what you have always done, then you will always get what you have always got. Probably should stop there. Extreme measures are sometimes called for. And these measures sometimes even produce results. The wisdom of the Desert Fathers includes the wisdom that the hardest spiritual work in the world is to love the neighbor as the self. To encounter another human being, not as someone you can use, change, fix, help, save, enroll, convince, 
or control, but simply as someone who can spring you from the prison of yourself, if you will allow it. All you have to do is recognize another you out there, your other self in the world, for whom you may care as instinctively as you care for yourself. To become that person, even for a moment, is to understand what it means to die to yourself. This can be as frightening as it is liberating. It may be the only real spiritual discipline there is. So move towards someone this week as you engage this practice. Move towards someone and maybe ask a question. Then hang around and listen to the answer. Move towards someone who seems like they are hurting. Don't wonder whether they are or not. If something in you says they seem like they're hurting, move toward them. Take a risk. Offer a word of encouragement. Move towards someone who seems sad. You've had this happen before. You're just going about your life. You're interacting with somebody. You know them or you don't. And you get the sense they seem sad. Don't question it. Move toward it. And show them somehow that you think they matter. Move towards someone who seems like they need help and offer to help them. This one is a little riskier, but I dare say this would be a profound way to encounter the Spirit of God in everyday life. Put your hand on someone's shoulder and say a prayer for them. Be present to those around you with confidence that God's Spirit is up to something. And find a way to demonstrate His love. i got to tell you, I'm worn out from reading about Christians who are embroiled in the division and the anger and the contention sweeping across our country and ripping us apart. And I am worn out from Christians who prefer a tweet or some online post to a real-life encounter with a real person. And I'm worn out from me, Mike, trying to do good in my own power. And I am worn out, me, Mike, from my head faith instead of my everyday faith. I'm worn out from standing here and talking about God and how He can be experienced in everyday life instead of experiencing Him in everyday life. So I am going to engage in these practices every week. I did this past week. I sought to practice gratitude as life went on. And I don't need to get into all these details. They're not important. But for me, this simple practice of being grateful in the moments of my life made a difference in my daily experience of the Spirit of God. And I'm going to do my best this week to be present to God's Spirit and trust He's up to something. And when I see or when I hear a bush burning in the face or voice or soul of someone I am near, I'm going to do my best to move toward them. Confident God's up to something. And I'm going to do my best to try and demonstrate Christ's love to them. And I just hope you'll practice this as well. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we recognize that where you are, the ground is sacred, which means wherever we are, the ground is sacred. And shoes can be removed because wherever we are, you are. 
And we pray that as we continue to open ourselves to what you're up to, to what you're saying, to how we might live differently, that your Spirit will be with us in a tangible way this week and give us eyes to recognize bushes that are burning in the faces and the voices and the unspoken of those we work with, go to school with, live with, or encounter in everyday life. That we might demonstrate to them your love and your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.